and welcome to AUSU's Open Mic. This is your president, Karen Fletcher, and I want to welcome your listeners to our second annual Research Week edition of the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about undergraduate research courses at AU with our guest, Dr. Kara Ross, who's an associate professor at AU and the chair of the Center for Social Sciences, and Catherine Lowe, an AU alumni and a former student counselor. Welcome. Thanks, Karen. Glad that you guys yeah, Thank you. Here. Welcome. So, Catherine, you did an undergraduate research project at AU, and I was wondering if you could tell um, students what an undergraduate research project is and what yours was. Yeah. Okay, great. So um, I had worked with Kara on um, COVID-related research on looking at at, uh, mental health in the context of the pandemic previously, and I wanted to continue working on this project and make it a part of my education at AU. And so one option to do that was to go through an independent study course. Um, This one was Psych 418, I believe. And that's one where you're able to just kind of dive a little bit more deeper into a specific topic. Um, And so knowing that I was really interested in the work we were doing with mental health in the context of the pandemic, I wanted to focus on on those on that in a literature review through this independent study course. So this kind of gave me that opportunity to really explore what goes into doing a comprehensive literature review, um, where where I could develop a a really detailed proposal and then get some feedback on that and go forward to to finish this this um, literature review that was really helpful to continue my work on that larger project related to mental health in the context of the pandemic. Um, and so it was it was a nice little dipping my toes into that world of of what goes into that research process um, and then kind of opened pathways into publishing that work because I was able to get a bit deeper into it. That's really cool. And Kara, you were Katie's supervisor, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what a supervisor is, what a supervisor does for students who might be new to this? Yeah, so it's, it's an apprenticeship model, essentially. So um, people who are interested in getting research experience, there's only so much you can learn out of a book in a classroom. Like a lot of people, you jump mm. into the, the actually doing research, and it's, it, it can be very different from what you experience in the classroom setting. So that's, that's the supervisor's role in a nutshell, is that we have this uh, prior experience. We've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for more than 10 years, which is a long time. And you you get to work with a student and you get to like mentor them through the research process, what it means to actually get your hands into the data, thinking about stuff, integrating it. And also, how do you turn this into something that is going to be a contribution to science? Um, how do you write stuff up? How do you communicate it? How do you present? So that's that's pretty much what the supervisor role is. It's it's that mentorship, apprenticeship, and you get to learn through that one-on-one discussion and one-on-one experience. That's interesting. So one thing I hear from some students is that they end up talking to their tutors more than faculty just because of how certain undergraduate courses are structured, especially Mm -hmm. the earlier ones. And I know that Katie already knew you before she proposed this course. So if there was a student who didn't have a pre-existing relationship with some of the faculty members that could supervise, what would be your advice to them? Like how, how should they connect? What information do they already have together or they would they need to have together in order to approach someone about possibly doing uh, a course like this? 
Well, so so Katie says that she she knew me before she started Spike 418, but I didn't know her before we started the project. Um, mm. And that's actually one way that you you can you can do this. So um, I had this COVID study, and I had this project coordinator position. I, I needed someone to help me run the study and collect data and, and get their like get their hands into this research experience. And I reached out to my collaborators at AU and was like, do you know of a student that's interested in doing this sort of work and you would recommend? And that's how I met Katie. One of my um, tutor colleagues said, actually, I know this really sharp student and she's really keen and really interested in research. You should totally reach out to her. And that's what I did. So that's, that's how it started. So even if you don't have contact, I know that there's only like 10 psychology faculty at AU and there's thousands of students. So I know that finding that can feel a little bit difficult, but your tutors are still an excellent starting point because they might be able to point you in the direction of a faculty member that they think might, you know, um, align with your interests. But if even if that that seems like a little bit, you know, difficult to do, or um, you you might be taking courses and it's like I, I'd really like to work with someone else, you can also take a look at the um, faculty profiles on the Athabasca website because it's got a description of all the work that we're doing, our mm. interests, things like that. And you can totally reach out to a faculty member and be like, you know, I think your work is super interesting and I'm really interested in getting some research experience. Are there any opportunities for me to work with you? And even if like best case scenario, they're like, excellent. I have a project. Let's let's talk and figure this out. Um, worst case scenario, they may be like, well, unfortunately, I don't have anything right now, but they can probably, you know, point you in the direction of other faculty that might have something. So it's just, you know, sending emails, you can't bang on doors, but the, the equivalent of that. And eventually, there, there's someone who will probably be able to lead a research project. Having, having said that, one of the challenges is that it can take a little while to plan out a project. Like Katie and I were lucky, I had something started. Mm. But sometimes it can take a little while to, okay, we need to get the ethics through, we have to start data collection, I have to approach my colleagues about data, some, there's some stuff. So usually if you're thinking about doing this, it's good to give yourself a bit of wiggle room, like this is not something you should be doing like in your last year. Um, giving yourself a couple of, oh, maybe one or two years to think about this and get it up and running is great, just to make sure that you have that opportunity to um, you know, okay, so-and-so is not available, but this person is, and, and get that planned. So it's not a rush. So Katie, I know that this was really important to you for, for your next educational goals, because um, right now you're doing your master's, right? Because you want to be a clinical psychologist? Um, yeah, I'm in school in applied child psychology. So how did this project help prepare you for that? And what advice would you give to someone who knows that they want to go to grad school or is thinking about grad school? Um, if they're thinking about doing one of these project courses? Yeah, so one of the challenges with um, my career goals and a, a lot of people that are wanting to go on to graduate school in psychology is that these programs require an honors thesis. And that is something that you can't enroll and complete at AU. However, a lot of the times the programs, they accept something that is the equivalent of an honors thesis. Because at the end of the day, what they really want to see is that you have research experience so that they're not taking you from the very first steps um, of learning these things before they expect you to go and independently 
propose and complete a research project. And so when I was able to use this experience to show that I had the equivalent of an honors thesis, it opened a lot of doors for graduate school for me. And, and having the experience is one thing, um, but also having it acknowledged and recognized as part of your education really, really kind of makes that easier for the programs to look at your transcript and be like, oh yeah, she totally had an independent study. So that that is that counts towards it. So for me, it was important that I had it coursified in some way. And that's where that Psych 418 class really played a role where I was able to receive three credits for the independent study that I was doing. And I was I was able to then explain what I did in this research process and how I had that experience prior to going to graduate school. And I think without that, I would not have been able to um, apply or be considered for the program I'm in. So I'm very grateful that there was an alternative opportunity that I could, use, I could do at AU in order to still get my uh, career goals. And for any of our listeners who are sitting there going, but I'm not a psychology student, um, there are comparable classes in math and computer science and history and, and whatnot. Um, many of them have a 495 course code, but you can definitely look in AU's course listings and find the one for your program because I know in my program, I'm an applied math student and we have something very similar. Um, so, so these are uh, more widely available than just psychology. I just happen to have psychology guests today. Um, so Katie, is there any advice you'd give your past self, like things to do differently, things you wish you had known? Um, to be honest with you, if I could go back and tell my past self things earlier on with my AU career, it would have been to like take more statistics courses <laughs> and maybe some computer programming courses because as much as um, I, I realized at the time I wanted to have a, a career in research and looking specifically at psychology, I, I kind of underestimated the value of those really applied courses and skills. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they're really, really helpful if you continue to go on through a master's degree that includes a thesis component, just because I, I mean, I took a few statistics courses at AU. I took I took uh, Math 215, I think everyone universally does. Um, and I took Math 315 as well, which is just kind of an extension of it. And I, I will say- yeah, that one was very challenging, um, but I will say that the 315 course, uh, I'm almost repeating it in my master's because it was so comprehensive um, and those skills are so important for that applied aspect of, of the research side of things that I'm so glad I had that background in 315 because I still go back and refer to those notes more than the notes I am taking in my current courses in statistics. So if I could go back to tell myself something, it would be to get my hands on as many of those applied statistics courses as I could, and maybe even consider some computer programming courses just to understand how to like build basic syntax in that, because it's so important in that, in that research side of things that um, those are great courses that are offered through AU and really teach like tangible skills. That's a really good point. And one of AU's best kept secrets, I feel like there are so many of them, is that there is actually a fourth year math project course that if you're interested in this type of thing, it looks at programming in R and statistics. Oh, that's um, exactly what I want to take. <laughs> yeah, but but it's not listed anywhere. You have to know. So this is this is my plug. Um, Julie Peschke is the course coordinator and you can get in touch with her if you're interested in doing um, that because you, you have to know it exists 
Kara, what's the right size of a project? Because I'm someone that I, I over commit myself. And I, I know I, I, I think there are a lot of students that are like, what's big enough, but not too big. And how would you help a student figure out the appropriate scope of a project for this undergraduate course? Yeah, so that is definitely one of the biggest challenges that, that students have. And it's, it's something that gets easier with experience. Um, that's basically what you're a big part of what your supervisor is there for. Hmm. Um, they help you. you. A lot of students will come in with these grand ideas and the supervisor will help them pick a corner of those ideas or whittle it down into something that is reasonable, um, that it can be completed. Because we, we know, we, we've done this a lot. We, we look at a piece of work and we're like, okay, that can be finished within a four month year time window, something like that. Um, when, I guess, if I'm going to give advice, it's like, I, I would recommend keeping it simple. Like, I think that there's this idea that people come into research and think that research is like this grandiose exploration. It's not research unless there's really big, complicated words and lots of variables and complex <laughs> yep. math and all that. Um, but most of, some of the best research that I have seen has been the most basic questions. Um, so, so don't, don't be afraid to keep it simple, like have one or two variables that you're thinking about or looking at, um, in psych 418. And, and this, again, this is an experience thing, but one of the metrics that we use is we're looking for a topic that if you're going to do a literature review on it, you're getting, oh gosh, Katie, I think it's about 18 papers or something like that. So if you're proposing a topic and you do a literature review search and you're getting thousands of returns that's a sign that we need to narrow this down. Um, and that's something, again, that your supervisor can help with. They, they might have some tips and tricks for what, what you can do to think more specifically about this question. And by the way, I had no idea that that R option existed, and I'm going to reach out to that coordinator and ask them about that, because that is brilliant. I didn't even know that. Yeah, like I'm I'm no longer with AU, and I'm going to re-enroll to take that, because that sounds exactly yeah. like what I need right now. Yeah, they put it together, I think, over the summer as a special study course. So it's not that you have been missing things for a long time, but I heard about it at a meeting and I was like, oh, everyone needs to know that. Julie's now going to get 17 emails and be like, what happened? Yeah, she's <laughs> going to get my entire cohort. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Kat, what if a student has the opposite problem if they don't have an idea or they're trying to formulate an idea, but they're they're having trouble? What would you Say to someone who's like, I want to do research, I want to pursue this, but I don't know how to get even started with proposing a question. Yeah, so that's, again, exactly, that is the opposite challenge. And I think that at the undergrad level, if it helps take the pressure off, this is just as much about, you know, getting some basic experience, but do I even like doing this? Because if, mm. if you really don't like the research process, probably want to either think differently about grad school or maybe think very carefully about what kind of grad program you go into, right? Because right. two, two to six years is a long time to be doing something you don't like. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's as much of a taster experience. So if you don't have a research question, that's fine. Um, I would suggest like pick a topic that you are at least interested in, um, whether, again, we're psychologists. So I cognitive psychology, health psychology, like just pick an area, like this class spoke to me, I really, I really like this, educational psychology. And as you approach supervisors, it's possible that they might already have 
a question or a project in the back of their head and what they really need is someone to help them move that forward. So they might have something that you could pick up and run with if that's what you're interested in. I've, I've had students approach me the, the same way and they're like, I, I just want research experience. And I said, well, I have this. And they were like, cool. And they just ran with it. And you know that, that works too. What you do, I mean, if you want to go into clinical psychology, you probably don't, you want to be careful about doing an honors project in cognitive psychology potentially. Um, it's, it's, but it's, it's, it's not a huge deal because you're just trying to figure out where you want to go. But yeah, the, the, the goal is more to just get experience in research and, and preferably do it in something that you would be interested in doing. So if you're okay with having someone say, well, this is the project, you can do it that way too. I like that. I've heard that in some of the science projects as well, that there are faculty that just have things that, that could that students could work on. I think um, I think it's really easy because we don't always see each other. It's not like a university where you see someone in the hall or whatnot, or you could ask them a question that some students can be really intimidated by like emailing someone you don't know. I mean, that's an intimidating thing for anyone to do. And it's easy to be like, I don't know anything. What am I going to do? Like, um, and, and I feel like that really takes the pressure off, right? Um, all of the faculty members I've met have been really lovely in meetings and stuff. Um, and, and many of them yeah. are thrilled to talk about their research students. So if you're worried. Oh, yeah, gosh. And just, just to throw out there, to take the pressure off as well. If you're going to be working with someone for like an honors-like project is usually about a year. Um, it can be a bit longer than that, but usually about a year. If you email someone as a student and you're getting not nice vibes or not like this person doesn't seem to be very collegial, that might be a sign on itself, even if they're doing amazing research that maybe you don't wanna work with that person because it might not be the best experience for you. So for, for students, remember that you're you're kind of shopping around too and don't, don't be afraid to be like, I, I don't think I could work with this person. Like that's fine. To, mm. like you, you were allowed to say that yourself so I know something that students are always kind of have in the back of their mind is how does grading work in something like this it's not like there's a set number of assignments that are already put together so how do you get something that ends up on your transcript and and how are students evaluated in one of these courses um so site 418 is the independent um, studies and you basically how it works in that class is you have to write like a baby proposal to get into the course and that's just very small just to make sure you've got a research idea mm -hmm. and then your grade consists of you write up a proposal and what I do is that's normally like an iterative writing sort of thing so I, I tend to grade the proposal a bit easier <laughs> easier is not the right word I have it's, it's a learning experience so I'm, I'm more okay. interested in working with the student to develop their ideas then coming down hard on the grading side of things. Um, so you get a grade for your proposal and you get a ton of feedback on it. Um, as Katie will attest, it can be a shock. Um, papers come back red. <laughs> <laughs> and it's part of the process. Um, and then you go and you finish your proposal. So it's, it's kind of like a, a research project and except that you're doing a proposal. So you, you're, uh, you're doing a literature review, excuse me. So your proposal is still like an introduction and you, you still have a method section and it's where you talk about uh, how you're going to do your literature review, like what databases are you gonna search, what are your keywords, things like that. And then once that's all approved, you get a grade for that and then you go off and finish uh, writing it up and integrating your information and then you get a grade for that as well. And it's your supervisor that is reading 
and um, uh, giving you that grade. But a big part of the experience too, and this is why it's nice to um, work with a supervisor, and, and tutors can be supervisors too, just throwing it out there as well. Mm. Um, what, what I'm trying to do, when, when you're getting into grad programs, it can be really, really beneficial, not just to have the grade that shows that you've done an honors project or an honors-like project, but that you've got some research projects or research products on your CV. So I really want to work with students and I want them to like present their work at a conference, like a student's conference or something like that, or a national conference if, if we can get to that, or if, they, if they're able to get to that. Um, and ideally we're working on a project that can actually turn into a publication. Like this isn't just a, a, a course that you're doing. The um, literature review that you're doing for Psych 418 is supposed to turn into the literature review that's going to become you know, the introduction for your research project that'll go into an academic journal somewhere. So it, it is important to get a good grade, um, but if you're, you know, the odds are pretty good that if you are in this, you're, you're probably going to get a decent grade if you're working with your supervisor. Um, but it's, it's as much the other things that come out of it as well that are valuable, those conference presentations, potentially a publication, things like that when you're applying for grad school. Hmm. Yeah, can I add something to that? I would yeah. argue that um, like that the whole process and making the proposal and doing the literature review is so much more comprehensive than an assignment where you are doing a basic empirical paper it is what we do in a lot of the site courses at AU. It's kind of the same as a literature review, but this course, it's the, the feedback that you get is so comprehensive that like that process is the learning that you do. Mm. And I would argue that that experience of learning what goes into a proposal, like how do you even structure a proposal and how do you approach it and how do you really approach a literature review in, in the systematic way was that process was so critical to my ability to be successful in graduate school that mm. I don't think I could have learned how to do that from a book. I needed that feedback. And um, and like Kara said, my things come back completely red. And that it's those red marks that really are the, the learning points for me. Um, so I think it's valuable in, in a way that just is so much more important than a grade. That's fair. What was the most surprising part of the course for you? Oh, for me? Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, it's pretty clearly laid out that you're expected to do a proposal and then a lit review. I think the biggest surprise for me was what a proposal is. I really thought I knew what a proposal was. Um, and and it, it turned out by the end of it, it was so different from what I had conceptualized of research proposal to be um, that, that I don't think, I think that was the biggest surprise. And that might've just been my own inexperience showing there. Um, but again, that just goes back to the, like how much learning I actually accomplished in that process. That's interesting. Katie, I think yeah. is being a bit modest because she, like, <laughs> if you are going to be applying for funding for graduate programs, for example, you have to submit a proposal and Katie actually won one of the, it's CGM now, right, Katie? She was, yes. she was awarded federal funding for her graduate program. So yes. that, that's a testament to her ability to write proposals. But that came after my experience with 418. So I think that like what I had learned and how you structure a proposal really came from learning what a proposal is in a much more comprehensive way. So I, I do credit all of those abilities and achievements to 
that learning experience that I had there where I really was starting from the ground up of what actually goes into a proposal. What do we need to consider? It's fantastic. I love it when when you come out of experience being like, no, no, I actually learned a, a skill, not just some facts in my head. Um, and it sounds like this is this is one of those experiential learning um, experiences, which I, I think are really yeah. cool. Um, so for funded students, um, they have to do courses in a four month time frame because of rules from a lot of student aid things. Are there things students who are funded should consider um, in terms of the timing of their project, Kara, to make sure that the experience of this course and their student aid don't interact in a way that's going to be an issue? Oh, gosh. Um, so I actually, one of my current students right now is, is funded, and that's one of the things that we've, we've had to think about in terms of timelines and stuff like that. Um, so a couple of things that pop to mind for that one. So um, if you're funded, and I'm sure that any student who is funded, having your timelines planned out and having like clear communication around when stuff is happening is, is really, really important. So um, finding someone who can supervise you. It, again, we I talked about faculty, but tutors can supervise as well. So please don't, if you have an awesome tutor, please don't feel like you can't reach out to them uh, to supervise you. They absolutely can. Um, but having, reaching out and having those connections and then being very clear about your timelines, just to make sure that your future supervisor is like, okay, this is when these things are going to happen. Um, the way that stuff is set up at AU though, Psych 418 is, the way that I set it up at least, Psych 418 is just one piece of a process. Like I, I, really, I really try to set up an honors-like experience with students by pulling together research assistantships, um, summer studentship and things like that to make it into more of a year-long thing because you really do need about that much time to get your fingers into a research project. Um, and it also looks good on the student CV, uh, say that show mm -hmm. that you've, you've not only done research, but you've been paid to do research. That's, that's pretty cool too. Or you've gotten a summer studentship that you were competitive enough to do that. Um, so for 418, that's kind of like the literature review. It's kind of like the icing on the cake. So um, it doesn't have to, you need to plan it out, but that shouldn't be a rate limiting step. By the time everything is planned out, you should be able to finish your literature review within those four months because you've had a chat with your supervisor, you know what your project's going to be, you've whittled down a question, you know the scope. And at that point, once you're in 418, it's a bit more of a formality. You're just going through and doing it. Um, I think, I mean, I think Katie almost had her 418 paper almost written by the time she started 418. Um, so, so it doesn't have to be an issue, just so long as you, you know, plan it out and, and communicate with your supervisor. So the work doesn't necessarily have to all happen in those four months. It just has to finish in those four months. It's kind of the idea. Exactly. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I think we're, um, the student that I have now, we're kind of finishing 418 towards the end. So all of the, um, because of a quirk, and this is psychology, I don't know if it's across all the other ones, uh, you can't do a research, like a data collection, it's like 418, because there's ethics considerations and things like that. And by the time you get your ethics review, you know, the four months might be over, depending on timing. So that's why we focus on the literature review part of it. But the data related stuff can happen outside of site 418 through these research ships, students, oh, things like that. Yeah, yeah. 
so for, for my current students, the 418 is kind of happening towards the end of the product project. We, we've already submitted abstracts to conferences. We've already got a number of analyses sorted out. And this is just like the, the finishing piece before we're getting ready to actually start writing stuff up. Yeah, I would say um, I completed it in four months as well um because i was also a funded student and my advice there would be to write every single day even if it's like one paragraph or two sentences read something every day and write something every day because you know at the end of it you might only include between you know 18 to 30 sources as you're like what you're actually reviewing and analyzing but to like whittle it down to only those takes uh, also takes a long process of also sifting through other articles that may not be relevant, but you don't know until you read them. So right. I would just suggest for students that are funded to just do something on it every single day. This is not the course to try to do in one month. What no, you, you, I, I would not no. try and do this course in one month. <laughs> no. <laughs> and and just and I don't want to intimidate students either with all this planning, but I mean, so long as you have for Psych 418 uh, a solid proposal with your, because you, you need to have that discussed and approved before you can register in the course. So right. if you have that sorted out, you should be able to finish it in four months, especially if, as Katie says, you, you were writing. This is not something you want to procrastinate with um, right. or leave to the very end. It, 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 it is something that needs to be done constantly. Yeah. That's fair. Well, thank you both for coming. This has been really, really informative. And um, I, I like to end podcasts by asking all my guests the same question, um, just, you know, out of interest. So is is oatmeal soup? What? Is oatmeal soup? <laughs> um, no. Okay, why? Because it's, you can't like swallow it without chewing. <laughs> that was a weird answer. <laughs> this is, the, it, this question gets the best answer. <laughs> As, as opposed to what? Like what, like is, is a semi-liquid food only allowed to be soup or? I don't know, you tell me. Oh, did I, did I just take this to a whole meta like, level? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a really weird one. I'm gonna it's, still stick by like, no. This is gonna keep me up. <laughs> It's also, well, you can steal the question because it's a fantastic icebreaker at meetings because it gets people talking and laughing without demanding personal information. So it's less awkward than like, what's one interesting thing about you? Um, but people always have the most interesting and varied answers. So it's become my favorite how I end podcast. Um, maybe Duncan one day will do a super cut of all the, all the, the answers that would probably be unnecessary, but. Um, well, if I had to answer, I'm sorry, I didn't. I'd say no ahead. because it doesn't. It doesn't have a what's it called a stock. Oh, that's yeah. a new one for me. I hadn't heard that. But then polenta has stock, and it's not soup either. It's what true. is not soup? Okay, oh. but stock can go into other things. I still stand by it's not soup. <laughs> 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 well, thank you both for coming. Um, this has been another episode of. AUSU Open Mic, and we'll see you next time. Bye.